Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, Heroes Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining us, me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. How are things in your corner of the continent? Well, I've seen Avengers Endgame, so I am now immune to all spoilers. <laughs> you got your spoiler shot. Yep, it's over. I never have to see another Marvel game again. I mean, it says Endgame in the title. It's right there. It was right there, people. It says Endgame. Not that it's going to be the Endgame, but uh, yeah, I'm seeing it tonight. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I got a uh, really late show. I won't argue that it wasn't a no-holds-barred adrenaline-filled thrill ride. From top to bottom. (laughs) Or as uh, Katie pointed out, or as other critics have pointed out, the word love letter comes in there a lot in critics' uh, analysis of the film. Well, there's a reason for that. It's a love letter. It is the most fan-service-y of fan-service movies. Eh, Okay, that's fair. It's like... Did you stick around for 10 years watching, like, all of these movies? Well, guess what, guys? We're just going to hit you with every continuity nod you could ever think of possibly. Wow. No wonder it's three hours long. Yeah, no. But it doesn't drag at three hours. I really enjoyed it. That's good. I'm actually a little worried about that, so I'm glad to hear that. It's a lot of fun being in the theater with everybody because everybody was going completely nuts. It was like I was in a stadium. That's pretty. See, I'm wondering if that's going to happen to me because I find Canadians are very reserved at movies. Oh yeah, polite clapping at the end, maybe. I expect that there will be an outbreak about of uh, polite clapping, very loud polite (laughs) clapping at certain parts of the movie. I haven't been to a wild movie since I saw um, the remakes of the Star Wars movies in the '90s. Though I remember being at when I saw Two Towers in the theaters on opening night at the midnight showing, that that was pretty wild. (laughs) <laughs> people getting wild over Tolkien? Well, people went nuts when Legolas did the swinging onto the horseback That was in one cool. move. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that bit got a lot of applause. I remember that the surfing down the stairs, yes. shooting everybody with the arrows. <laughs> Those movies kept getting re- more and more ridiculous by they movie three. Did. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I can see people going nuts about that. Fellowship of the Ring was very re- restrained compared to what we got later, mm-hmm. and all we did was enable Peter Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. But uh. in all seriousness, Avengers Endgame, I gotta say, I'm impressed that they stuck the landing. Yeah, I- I'm looking forward to that, uh, and I will report back in, I guess, next week with non-spoilery stuff. <laughs> oh, you- oh, we're going to keep talking about it next week, then? I'd probably be out of this. Dedicate an entire week. episode to talking about Avengers Endgame and bleak non spoilery ter- uh, terms. This is now the the new the new Marvel No Spoilers Avengers podcast. I really like that one guy who was in the movie with that other guy. He may or may not have worn a mask. He did the thing though. <laughs> yes. He did the awesome thing that was awesome. <laughs> that narrows it down. So we're going to talk about uh, SteamWorld Quest this week, which just came out on Nintendo 3DS. It's the new RPG made by Image and Form, who have worked on the other SteamWorld games in the past. Nadia will render her judgment upon it. We'll talk about that stupid new Persona 5 Musou game. Yes, I'm showing my bias <laughs> we're right here. We're prejudging it right now. I am judging the heck out of it. And we'll talk about the Best animals in RPGs. RPGs have had a lot of wonderful animal companions over the years. We're going to talk about what animals bring to RPGs, and we're going to rank the top 
five. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to us already, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever podcasts are sold. If you enjoy the podcast, make sure to leave a comment or review. Uh, we do read comments in the episode at the end of the episode as part of our mailbag. We also read Twitter comments and that kind of thing. I love hearing from our audience, the disciples of the blood god. Send me an email, cat.bailey at usgamer.net. Send me a Twitter DM. And make sure to subscribe to our newsletter. Every week we send out a update from the blood god with all of the RPG news and an essay from one of the two of us. Nadia, what did you write about last week? <laughs> I wrote in defense of Marie from Persona 4 because uh, we'll be talking, of course, a bit about the Persona 5 news we got this week. But um, uh, basically, one bit of news from the uh, the concert that went on in Japan this week was uh, how there's the Persona 5R is getting uh, a new character. And I'm assuming, okay, well, you can romance this character. And so I kind of looked back a bit on previous Persona uh, girlfriends and, you know, how I chose Marie and why I chose Marie, which I, I have defended her on the show before. So uh, if you want to see me uh, re-kind of, like, just uh, reinvigorate my my defense for Marie, by all means, please subscribe. You're, you're going to die on that hill. I am totally going to die on this hill for Marie and her stupid poetry. I like her poetry. I love her. I love her poetry. I love her. I love her, her outfit. I said, I wasn't sure if she was goth, but I called her goth. She's kind of gothy. Yeah. She's very, she's, Jap- she's very Japanese Shibuya kind of fashion. Like very oh, over the top. Okay. That or maybe sense. Harajuku. More Harajuku, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and Harajuku has echoes of kind of that Lolita goth type yeah, thing going on. But they really kind of take it to like this really colorful, fun extreme. I suppose on that note, we should jump right into the news. Uh, I already mentioned the Persona 5 Musou game. We also got Persona 5 The Royal confirmed. I I guess that opens up a real question for me, Nadia. Uh I haven't finished Persona 5 because I've been waiting for Persona 5 to come out on Nintendo Switch. And I think that was the wrong move. I should just freaking finish the game. Uh, I opted to finish The Witcher 3 instead, and I feel okay about that decision, but that doesn't change the fact that I am squarely in the middle of Persona 5 at the moment. I'm, uh, For people who have played the game, I'm in the pyramid. Yes. So I'm kind of wondering, Nadia, and I, I want to mind the, the thoughts from the audience as well, should I push on and finish Persona 5, or should I wait for Persona 5 The Royal and restart? Um, I would say go ahead and push on unless you have like, uh, well, looking at our, our release schedule and the, the jobs that we have coming up for reviews and stuff, it's going to be kind of a quiet uh, summer. So I would push on and then compare like, you know, the previous experience to uh, the Royal when it comes out because the Royal's not play coming out. Play it again? Out. Oh my God. I, I'm going to play it again. I have every intention to play it again. And so oh, does really? Hiran. Oh, yeah. And... Um, it's not coming out until like 2020 sometime, and I heard like uh, whispers that it's like late 2020. So I would go ahead. I'm just the worst, Nadia. You know, Why? Persona 5 was one of my most anticipated games for quite a while. Persona 4 Golden is one of my favorite games <laughs> of all right, time. That's right. Yeah. And it finally came out, and I haven't even finished it. What is wrong with me? I don't know. That's a good question, but it happens sometimes. Uh, I mean, when you fall back into it, you always seem to enjoy yourself again. You just you fall off for whatever reason and fall back in whenever the opportunity presents itself. I guess there's just this flow of sometimes I'm playing games for work. 
Sometimes right. I get sucked into other games. Like I'm currently double fisting Super Robot Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Elmo sticking my head in the pile of cocaine that is Super <laughs> Robot Wars 8 Portable and Super Robot Wars T, which I, I DM'd you on Slack the other day and I said, well, it's over. Super yep. Robot Wars T is good now. I've hit yep. the point. Point of no return. The yep. event horizon. Yep, Magic Knight Ray Earth and uh, Dunbine and all of those guys, they're all there now. So I'm like, well, okay. I'm just nope, keep playing you're this. You're committed. And I like A Portable because it's a change of pace. It makes me remind, it reminds me of how much I miss so many of those old 1970s series now. Oh, they're so, so unique looking, aren't they? Yeah, and I'm playing it on, on my computer and just having the load times not be an issue is a game changer for me. Mm hmm. Yeah, before it was unplayable, just completely unplayable because it was so slow and everything was so slow to load up and it was extremely hard. Right. But now everything loads instantly and I'm just kind of, kind of enjoying myself. But, and and then I'm playing Stardew Valley with my partner. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And then the next thing I know, it's going to be time for a run of summer games. Like I'm kind of looking ahead to Fire Emblem Three Houses coming out in July, Mario Maker 2 coming out. I travel a lot. I don't know. I got a life, Nadia. Uh, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so the solution is no more life. Actually, there was a good thread on Reddit not too long ago. said, mm-hmm. for those who gave up video games, why did you give them up? Right. And a lot of the answers were very predictable. I had kids. Right. I, I'm too busy one. with work. It's just I don't have enough time. I only have like one or t- two hours a day to devote to games. Mm-hmm. And then somebody and then of course there were the teenagers or the college students who came and said i didn't if i didn't have six hours a day to devote to video games i'd kill myself (laughs) oh children yeah i was like oh wow man that's pretty amazing even i i went into my life as a video games writer under the assumption that if i turned my career into playing and writing about video games i could continue to play video games and live my life what i discovered that was that video games just took over my life entirely and yet, yeah. somehow, because I'm playing everything, it doesn't mean that I get to play the games that I want as deeply as I would like. Nope, absolutely not. Yeah, so I have to be extremely choosy about the games that I devote, which means that I'm, of course, playing two Super Robot Wars games at once. Oh, of course. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, sometimes you just need a break, and you just need to play something that is kind of like comfort food, you know? Yeah, that's uh, kind of why I'm playing through Final Fantasy VII still, like, slowly but surely getting just through it. Yeah, I started playing it, and of course I got to the point where I talked about last week, and yeah. I haven't played it since. Oh, okay, so you're still not quite done with, uh, haven't surmounted that particular obstacle yet. Maybe at some point. I'm going to be traveling a little bit next week, so mm-hmm. I'm going to have a little more time to play some Final Fantasy VII. And so I expect that I'm going to just go through a little rotation on my Switch where I play a level of Super Robot Wars, I play some Final Fantasy VII... I do a quick chaser of Gradius or uh, Arrow Fighter right. 2, and then, you know, it's kind of a nice loop. The Switch really has everything at this point. I, oh, yeah. such a perfect retro machine. And one thing it actually doesn't get enough praise for, and I'd realized this today when I had to reboot the system, it loads anything so fast. You yeah. don't have to F around at all. Like, it's it's on immediately. It, you change the game. Oh, who's playing? It's you. Okay, hi. I, I love that so much about it. Remember when we used to make fun of Nintendo for their failure to embrace optical media? Yeah. <laughs> Turns out Nintendo was all wrong, wrong all right all along. It was cartridges, baby. 
Uh, apparently so. Yeah, it was all. It took how many ever many years to to prove that, but yes, it was all about the cards. Yeah, I mean, now if anything, the PSP looks ridiculously dated because the the uh, the UMD drive was such a joke. Yeah, no, good old Sony and proprietary stuff. So there's a game coming out next month that's actually coming out on the Vita, Shakedown Hawaii. Oh, it, that's right. It's coming to the Vita. Oh, it means yeah. life after all. Hilarious. But getting back to Persona 5 Royal, yeah, I think that I'm going to make a real push this summer. I say this every dang summer. I've said this. I said this last <laughs> summer. I said it the summer before. But I'm going to make a real push this summer to finish Persona 5 and just so that I can say it's done. And maybe I'll play Royal. Time. Maybe I won't. I don't know. Yeah, depends how much you like it, I suppose. Like, did you play Persona 4 and then Persona 4 of the Golden? Uh, I played, yes, yes, I did. Uh-huh. But I never finished the original Persona 4. Oh, I, okay. I got pretty far, if I recall correctly. I was playing it on PS2 for the old Grind blog. I'm one up back in the day. Oh, writing yes. blogs about it. Uh, but then I never finished it, put it down for a long time. And then when Golden came out on Vita, I picked it up. Mm-hmm. So here's the interesting thing that I'm hearing. And take this with a grain of salt. It's not necessarily corroborated. But the rumor is that Sony has some kind of exclusivity agreement with Persona. Right. I'm so starting to think that. All Persona numbered games stay on Sony systems. Right. So they're not going to come to Switch. Which yeah, is yeah. a huge bummer if that's the case, because that completely precludes Persona 3 and 4 coming to Switch as well. Yeah, um, I, I totally believe that. When I heard about the Musou game, I said, okay, well, what this means, obviously, is that even though no one's going to say it outright, there must be some sort of exclusivity thing going on here. Uh, because I think Atlas is probably, like, wringing its hands over not being able to bring these these games over to Switch, because they'd, they'd make tons of money. So what do you think of the Persona 5 Musou game, Nadia? Eh, like, <laughs> it's, can I make a never-see-it-coming joke? Uh, I'm not going to bother. If I could yeah. erase a game his series from history, it would be the Dynasty War seri- Warrior series. Wow, that bad, eh? They add absolutely nothing to video games. They're junk uh, food you know, of the worst kind. Just pure pandering fan service, completely brainless. People are like, oh, but sometimes you need to sit down and play something completely mindless, and it's okay, and you're just slashing through people and getting a little bit of fan service. I mean, Super Robot Wars is basically Dynasty Warriors, but in a tactical RPG sense. But... Fi- but Super Robot Wars, even Super Robot Wars, has a little more of a brain than <laughs> Dynasty Warriors. Dynasty Warriors is just pure, it's mindless, a little brainless. Yeah, it's for me. so dumb. I it's... just, I can't get behind it. I can't recommend it. I hate it. I hate that they are co-opting my favorite games and putting them into these stupid hack and slash games that are literally there to make your mind eyes glaze over and keep hammering the attack button until things die. Yeah, I'm just like, I, the furthest I got with the Musou game was Hyrule Warriors. I actually got f- quite far into that because I was playing with my husband and he's still mad because we never finished. And it's just like, it's so brainless. Like, first of all, I really didn't like the characters that were invented for that game. Like, I hated Linkle. I hated whoever that blue-haired chick was with the huge bazooms. Like... And whoever her the evil version was, like the only character I thought was really interesting was the Dragon Knight based on uh, Volvagia. I thought he was really cool. Uh, other than that, I just nothing about that game stuck with me. Link had Hi- a nice scarf. Hyrule Warriors shouldn't exist. Dragon Quest Warriors shouldn't exist. 
Yeah, uh, I found that. I even I found that one kind of like okay. You know what? You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go play Dragon Quest Builders again. Dynasty Warriors Gundam really shouldn't exist. Those games are all <laughs> right. terrible. Yeah, sorry. I've played them. I've tried to play them. I tried to enjoy them. Oh my god, they're not good. You gave it a In try. In fact, they're horrible. A college try. I did. I should like Dynasty Warriors Gundam. If there's one Warriors game I should embrace, it should be that one. Nope. nope. Not embracing it. <laughs> like anyway, Dragon that's Quest. my screed. I know that there are people who like those games. I am not one of them. And I would have taken almost literally anything other than a freaking Dynasty Warriors Persona game. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's like, okay, fine. You can't give us the, the Persona numbered games on Switch. Could you not give us anything else? I mean, you we know. got Persona Q2 coming out very soon, actually. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, uh, an upgrade for the Switch might have been kind of nice. I, w- I would play that. Yeah, a Switch version would have been really nice. I can't believe I'm going to be playing it on my 3DS. Yeah, I feel a little bit weird about that. But yeah, my 3DS is a nice little workhorse. It'll get some attention again. Yeah, the 3DS deserves more love than it gets these days. I know it's yeah. an old system, but it's actually... Every time I turn it on, I go, oh, man, I have a lot of good games on this thing. Yeah, I ha- I'm like, wow, I have some really great games on here, many of which I have never finished. I, I There's a Persona 5 rhythm game at this point. I'm sure that mm-hmm. there's going to be more Persona 5 things. People oh, yeah. really want a new Persona Arena game? Persona Arena. I'm, oh, oh, right. When were they? The fighting game, right? Yeah. I mean, they, okay. I would have been happy if Persona 5S was per- Persona 5 Showdown, you know. Right, right. I don't even like fighting games, but I would have bought that. It would have been more interesting than a Muso. Yeah, I really enjoyed the Persona 4 Arena games uh, for a time. Did you, uh, does everyone, like, have their own, I'd say I never played it, does everyone have, like, their own unique attacks, like, Chia oh, yeah. goes around kicking the shit out of people? <laughs> uh, they all have their own unique attacks, as well as super attacks, yeah. Chia is so much fun, she's just drop kicking everybody. She would be, I could see that being her game. There are a few too many uh, robots, though. Like, uh, actual robot characters? Yes, because in Persona 3, there's a cyborg. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the cyborg, and her she has a counterpart, I guess, in that game who was created specifically for that game. I'm like, okay, okay oh. stop going overboard with the cyborgs. <laughs> anyway, Persona 5 Scramble, um, not entirely sure when it's coming out, and frankly, I couldn't care less. <laughs> That's just such a, I'm just picturing that in like, if, if, when we write a review. Or our preview. When it's coming out, I don't know when, and we couldn't care less. <laughs> so I'm I'm not going to review it, so whatever. No, uh, I, I have no plans to. Please don't make me. Somebody on Twitter recently posted a collection of several of my hot takes. Oh, I saw that. That was pretty great. Multiple of them RPG-related. One of them was, uh-huh. Final Fantasy X-2 is better than Final Fantasy X. Another one was, Wind Waker is overrated. See, I another, agree with that. Another one was Final Fantasy VIII is better than Final Fantasy VII. I still don't agree with that. And Mario Odyssey is more fun to watch than to actually play. Which I meant as a compliment, by the way. Yeah, I can see where you're getting with that one, because I totally agree. I loved Mario Odyssey, but it's one of those games where if you watch someone who knows what they're doing and is like really, really acrobatic, because it is a game where you can be very acrobatic, it is actually very impressive to watch. It's not just that. It's just really fun to have just to look up from whatever you're doing and see some new surprising and fun thing happening on the screen. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Also, the music is catchy. It has some great music. The uh, the music for, like, kind of the Steam Gardens is really fantastic. Still one of my favorite uh, Mario tracks. 
When I started playing Super Smash Brothers, as soon as I went into New Donk City, I turned down every single one of the other Mario tracks and just made sure that Jump Up Superstar was the main track. <laughs> That's all you need. Yeah, it's the only, it's against the law for any other song to be playing uh, in New Donk City. Well, if you're in New Donk City, why else would you play anything else? Okay, Nadia, speaking of why else would you play anything else, you reviewed SteamWorld Quest, and it's on the Nintendo Switch. It's the new RPG, card-focused RPG, Mm -hmm. from the creators of the SteamWorld games. We are on record as being gigantic fans of SteamWorld Heist. Tell me, Nadia, does SteamWorld Quest live up to the legacy and excellence of SteamWorld Dig and SteamWorld Heist? I would say yes, although it probably won't blow your mind the way that, like, SteamWorld Heist did. Because it very much knows what it wants to be. It wants to be kind of a simple, fun fantasy story that has robots in it. Uh, it's I, I honestly found the story in SteamWorld Heist a lot more engaging because you had that, like, battle between the Royals and the Diesel Bots and the Steam Bots, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, SteamWorld... Uh, quest is more about heroes saving the world from the quote-unquote necromonicog which i think was actually really clever it's a very fun clever cute game uh one thing i do like about it and maybe some people won't like this as much as i do but it took me like 15 hours to finish and in a world of games where you are engaged for hundreds of hours at a time i think that's a nice change um I do feel like still I would love uh, something more substantial in this universe. Like, I would not say no to that. But at the same time, I was like, oh, 15 hours? You know, that was a lot of fun. I had I had a good time. Uh, the card-based battle system, I liked it more than I thought I would. Uh, my main complaints are that it's kind of linear. There's not too much exploration involved. It's kind of like a, a room-based uh, world. Kind of, I, I, It kind of reminded me a little bit of Odin Sphere in that regard. Linear uh, is not bad. That's fair. I, I guess just some people expect Final Fantasy with. IV is a linear game that is excellent. Oh, you're absolutely right, but it's not like, you know, kind of like pushing you from one place to another quite as much. You still have like an overworld to explore, you know what I mean? And it's a dungeon crawler, right? Which, uh, SteamWorld uh, Quest? Yeah, SteamWorld Quest is basically a dungeon crawler. I guess that is probably the best way of describing it now that you mention it, yes. That's okay. Uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, ultimately, I gave it a 4 out of 5, and I would absolutely say if you are a SteamWorld fan, pick it up, because I'm not the only one who liked it very much. It's, mm. uh, I guess my only, other than the whole linear thing, my only other serious complaint is uh, there's a lot of palette swap going on with the enemies. Uh, you have, like, a handful of enemies, and then you engage with, like, different versions of them, like, different elemental versions of them. Uh, like, you fight the same dragon boss, like, four or five times and the only difference is okay they're stronger and they have a different elemental weakness and the graphics oh that's a letdown yeah Uh, because steam world heist had a lot of really unique bosses exactly yes and that was my only real big letdown with the game that was the thing i loved about heist was that it kept surprising me throughout the game with mm. its missions its enemies the the challenges that it came up with with the different maps uh, the weapons that it made available, the weapon types, it never got repetitive. Yeah, yeah, it did have, like, a lot of uh, different uh, weapon types and stuff like that. It was very... It's funny how it was, like, a strategy game that was a little more diverse than SteamWorld Quest, but, again, I just get the sense that uh, Image and Form wanted to go a little more straightforward and easygoing on this one. I do love the characters a lot. I find it interesting that a lot of people were being like, oh, 
I don't know about card-based games. I feel a little nervous about that. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, well, if you just remove the card element, it's not that different from your typical RPG. Because really, just replace cards with skills. You're equipping skills. And the skills yes. appear randomly and which ones you get to use very okay. much that yeah that is pretty much the way it works in uh steam world quest and it's there's also kind of an element of strategy going on where um if you use uh three cards from the same character they will execute a combo where they get like that one extra hit that uh depending on what they have equipped it's a different kind of skill uh like galio will he can, like, you know, beef up your party's defenses, for example. Or, uh, I can't remember the name of the mage. Cornica, I think her name is. Uh, she can, like, erect a barrier that absorbs hits. And stuff like that is very important because, as you discovered playing the game yourself, uh, enemies don't pull too many punches in this game. They, uh, they do hit for, for quite a bit. And that's on, that's on normal difficulty. Yeah, I was discovering that support magic was extremely important in steamroll yes. quest um especially healing especially barriers and that sort of thing uh weapon uh, attack buffs or else you're going to be quickly overwhelmed you can't really have a full attack party that's why i was feeling yeah, a little salty toward my pr handler because i felt like they gave me a very bad uh setup <laughs> yeah um i will say that one card i relied on a lot was regen cards because uh, I find that they are low cost, whereas actual healing cards are, are much higher cost. So if you can keep your party regened, then that will keep you healthy for, for much of the game. And you can upgrade your cards too, which means, okay, you restore more of your health or you hit harder or, or whatever. Uh, elemental attacks are also extremely important. So there is quite a bit of strategy involved. Um, I find that even like if the story and whatnot is a little bit simplistic, the strategy is is there. I enjoyed myself. How many party members do you have? Uh, you have three at once, but let me see. You have you have five overall. Six if you include like there's these little like kind of cute, adorable uh, rabbit knaves. You have I think their name are Tara and Tane, and they're just like you know Tara is like this real like loud mouthed upfront girl and her brother Tane is like kind of shrinks in her shadow and is very shy and they they are two people in one party or sorry in one like person i guess <laughs> two people in one person well not one person but they are they count as one person even though they are two people interesting okay it is pretty interesting there are a lot of interesting things going on i liked Auric, who was like a, a samurai character who uses masks to attack he he attacks, and whatever uh, attack you choose, sometimes it comes with a, a mask change that will buff up your uh, stats at the same time. Like if you equip, if you use a, a, an attack that will equip like uh, a Tengu mask, for example, it means like you will attack, and then afterwards he will change his mask to a Tengu mask, which uh, makes him faster. So it kind of gives him that automatic buff. And his default is like kind of a kitsune mask, so I thought that was kind of cool. So here's the thing that I'm kind of wondering, Nadia. Mm-hmm. Is the typical image and form approach of very lightweight game with some very smart design a good fit for RPGs? Because over and over again, I see that SteamWorld Quest is maybe a little too lightweight, that it doesn't put enough emphasis on story, exploration and other elements that 
are people kind of expect from RPGs. Like I just said that it's fine if it's linear. Linear isn't necessarily bad, but mm-hmm. if only the battle system is doing the the heavy lifting and there are only maybe five characters, is that enough? Uh, I think it really comes down to personal preference because yes, even though the battle system does most of the heavy lifting, it's not like I didn't find the dialogue you know a lot of fun. It's not like I didn't find the characters a lot of fun. Um, I do wish there was more exploration. I it's kind of funny. I I want to call it an RPG. It is an RPG by all for all intents and purposes. But I kind of I would stop myself from saying you know comparing it in the same breath as Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest. I mean, of course not. Yeah, but if you know, okay, here's a lightweight RPG that's you know fifteen to twenty hours. Um, if you if you know that's what you're getting, I don't see any reason why people just wouldn't enjoy themselves for that time. I don't think it's a full priced game. I'm not sure that I'm going to pick it up, though. See, that's understandable, because you're not sure, right? Like, mm. I, I f- again, I feel like, okay, maybe this is definitely a game that could be, have, potentially have some good DLC. I'd love to see DLC for it. Uh, SteamWorld Heist had some great DLC. Uh, again, if there's another one, sure, make it longer, I won't protest. But, uh, yeah, I was a little disappointed that we weren't getting, like, a, uh, you know, a full-fledged RPG with an overworld and everything. But, of course, Image and Form is a very small team, so... They are. Um, This is nothing against SteamWorld Quest. I have a pretty good idea of what it is and what it wants to do, and Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's enjoyable and everything, but it has some good ideas, but I'm not sure that it comes together in a full package. Right, yeah, I understand where you're coming from. And I think that what... It has many of the same components that made SteamWorld Heist so special. I just think that their style fits much better for a game like SteamWorld Heist than it does for a game like SteamWorld Quest in that particular genre. Yeah, I'm definitely not going to argue that point because I think you're right. I think that Image and Form uh, is really well suited for strategy games, for strategy action games. Um, I still think the SteamWorld Dig games are some of the best action games you can play. So, um, they do Metroidvanias very well. They do Metroidvanias extremely well, yes. Yeah, even though I haven't played SteamWorld Dig 2 yet. <laughs> it's fantastic. Have you played the first one? I haven't, no. Oh, okay. Well, the uh, second one, first one, they're both, really, they're both really fantastic. I'm actually a little disappointed we haven't gotten any DLC for 2. Yeah, it's a little surprising, isn't it? It is. I was surprised when uh, we got uh, SteamWorld Quest instead. Mm. Yeah, maybe they should have focused on... Uh, improving SteamWorld Dig 2 rather than going for another game. I think a lot of people are a little concerned that SteamWorld Quest 2 is going to not do so great because it's coming into a very flooded market at this point and it's going to get, it just can't help but be overwhelmed by Cuphead and to a lesser extent Katana Zero. Katana Zero is pretty freaking fantastic I have to admit. The timing's not great and Mortal Kombat 11's out too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's coming uh, out at a, a somewhat busy release period and it feels destined to get lost. I hope it doesn't. SteamWorld, like, SteamWorld does have its fans, and so mm. I, I hope, like, it makes a profit. And I, I think it will. It did get good reviews. It got pretty great reviews, actually. And I think there's some good buzz on social media. If there's one thing that you can improve about it, what would it be? Uh, again, I would make it, like, a little more exploration-focused. There is, There are some secrets, and it's always fun to find those, but when you're just kind of like going from room to room and solving, you know, light puzzles at best, it feels like, oh, okay, this could be a little better. This could be a little more fleshed out uh, because, you know, I like the characters. I like the battle system. Uh, maybe just uh, more exploration. Uh, definitely 
more variety in the bosses. That's I think that's a big one. Uh, and maybe, you know, a bit more of a story beyond, like, good versus evil, even though that's just obviously what they wanted to go for. And it was it, it worked for what it was. But, I, you know, a little more is not a bad thing. I would have way more characters. Yeah, I would... Because um, SteamWorld Heist to... had quite a few characters. Yeah, I was about to say, unique. yeah. Yeah, SteamWorld Heist had a lot of... Uh, a lot of uh, interesting characters and actually um steam world quest is a story being told by um what was the name of the whale hunter from steam world heist uh, oh really the, Ste- yeah. the whale hunter is telling the story of steam world quest he's p- telling the story of steam world quest to his son toby who is uh, mentioned in steam world heist he got eaten by a whale so <laughs> <laughs> so that's what it is basically that's why i'm like okay i understand why this is a very kind of a light fairy tale-ish game Oh, yeah. No, for sure. I, I, I'm not exactly looking for heavy drama here. This is SteamWorld. It's going to be cutesy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that you should just increase the choices that player, interesting choices that can, people can make. S- seems like SteamWorld Quest doesn't have enough of them. Yeah. Um, I as, as I said, I really enjoyed my time with it. So it's really, I think it's up to the individual if, they, uh, if they're okay with a light RPG. Uh, yeah. So Again, I gave it a four out of five. So if you were to recommend it to somebody, it would be your elevator pitch. Like, why should they pick it up? Uh, it's a it's a fun, lighthearted RPG with a really unique battle system. Uh, it has funny banter. Uh, it's uh, If you are great looking graphics. for some... Great graphics. Other than the repetitive uh, boss sprites, it's actually... The, the characters have a lot of uh, visual charm. Like, I love uh, the Steam bots of, of any SteamWorld game. Like, they always look just fantastic. And if you are in the market for something lighter, like something that will take you 15 to 20 hours, I know a lot of people are, you could do a lot worse. Okay, with that, I think we're going to move on to the main subject, which is the animal companions of RPGs. So don't go away. All right, Nadia, it's time to talk about the best animal companions of RPG history. And and I'm curious, Nadia, RPG, it feels like animal companions have been part and parcel of RPGs for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the most iconic characters in video game history is Dogmeat from Fallout. And I'm curious, yes. what do you think animal companions bring to RPGs? Uh, well, they bring the cute, of course. Yes, uh, we, everybody loves the fuzzy. Everyone loves the fuzzy, and we all kind of have that innate, you know, love for animals, and, you know, we're all practically programmed to love dogs and cats. Uh, one thing, though, beyond that that I appreciate about Animal Companions is they generally give you different ways to attack. Like, if you, in some RPGs, for example, you have your human characters, it's like, oh, you equip them with swords and shields and whatever, and then you have your animal character who sometimes requires more thought. Like, maybe you can equip them with a kind of a fortifying pair of fangs, for example. Maybe maybe there's nothing at all, and you have to trade that, it, that extra attack power for, uh, you know, lesser defense. It's really kind of, you have to, to puzzle it out for yourself. And personally, I, I really appreciate that about Animal Companions. They, they jazz up the whole scene. I mean, so many shows and anime and movies have, the, the team has their own little team pet. <laughs> Yes, the mascot. 
and so many RPGs are based around large groups of characters or companions or whatever, so it only makes sense that they would have a team pet as well. Valkyria Chronicles 2 had Rag, or Raggy, or whatever his name was, the little uh, Sheba that had the hat. That was really cute, and he kept, he keeps his whole his whole purpose was to keep your morale up during the war. <laughs> and then, of course, in Persona Three, there's Koromaru, who's part of the actual group. It's the team pet, it's the dog that helps out everybody. You can take on, uh, you can take out for a walk. <laughs> can you? Does he like attack or anything like that? Have you never played? Oh God, you haven't played Persona Three. I haven't played Persona Three. I was hoping you'd come to Switch. Koromaru. I mean, we'll get, we'll talk about Koromaru in a bit, but Koromaru is totally a party member. Oh, cool. Yeah, a, I love Koromaru. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's talk a little bit about how animals are used in RPGs. I think that animals probably have the most diverse usage in RPGs out of any particular genre. I was kind of thinking about it. I mean. You have things like Amaterasu is a yes. main character in uh, Okami. Uh, there are times where you have animal kind of companions who are AI characters who are helping you out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't think of anything straight off the top of my head. You had to fight um, the dog in Mega Man X. <laughs> Valgar- uh, Valgarder, I think his name was. Yes, the main Sigma has a pet robot dog for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, um, if you want some nerd, of course you do. You want some nerd history here. The reason Sigma has the dog, the dog is meant to hunt down traitors. The dog hunts down traitor reploids. Yes, but more to the point, it's supposed to be the evil version of Rush, right? Well, there's no Rush in Mega Man X. I know, but it's the evil version. (laughs) Sigma has Rush. Okay, I guess that's fair. But here's another thing about that battle, if you remember... um, He's vulnerable to, to shotgun ice, and unlike most of the Mavericks that you fight in Mega Man X, your shots will go right over him unless, like, you angle your shots properly off the wall. So he's not just vicious, he's a, he throws a whole new wrench into, the, into, into fighting in Mega Man X. So animals can also be mounts in games. I mean, Epona yes. is maybe one of the most famous examples from yes. Ocarina of Time, though many years before Ocarina of Time, we had chocobos. We did. Yes. We have since Final Fantasy, is it two or three? Uh, I don't know. I remember the first time I saw chocobos as a thing that you could do was Final Fantasy four. Yeah, same. Yeah, because you had the black chocobo that you were riding. Um, and of course, they sped things up and they had that nice little rocking tune, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was a, and actually Final Fantasy four had the regular chocobo theme for the yellow chocobo and it had like this really like sort of calypso sort of version for the flying chocobo i thought that was a nice touch and then in a game like witcher 3 you have roach which why is it why is the horse named roach Uh, there's an explanation i don't remember but uh the point is Geralt calls every one of his horses roach doesn't matter (laughs) can he rename them nope he just calls them roach okay there's a point where you are given a really nice horse as a gift Uh uh-huh by an emperor uh-huh. And you still call it Roach. <laughs> because I I always liked one of the one of the better ones was the Angel of Valhalla, which is <laughs> the white Chocobo legend from Lightning Returns that you raise up and it turns out I guess to be Odin in Chocobo form. Wow. Yeah. That's um like the summon Odin? Mm-hmm. Okay, why not? Yeah, why not, right? I mean yeah. so that's your reward for raising up this Chocobo over the course of the game. That is kind of fun. That is pretty good, actually. 
Yeah. Uh, Chocobos are great. Uh, they're a great example of uh, in-game pets slash uh, mounts. I mean, one of the most yes. famous examples, of course, is po- Boko, the Chocobo Boko. from Final Fantasy V, who is one of the first things you see because you see uh, Bart's or Butts, as you prefer, butts. if you prefer to call him that, riding him, uh, ri- riding uh, Boko the Chocobo on the opening title theme. Yeah, that's uh, actually uh, a pretty cool cinematic for its time. Yeah, and you see uh, Bart's riding along, and then suddenly a meteor crashes, and uh, Bart's and Boko go and investigate. And I guess just the fact that Bart's has a pet chocobo and rides around really speaks to his status as a, a kind of a nomad at the beginning of the game. Yeah, and especially since that's his only friend at first and mm-hmm. has to talk to him because he got no one else. <laughs> but then he meets lots of new friends in the scene of a meteor crash. Well, I hope he doesn't uh, neglect poor Boko. For no reason. <laughs> I don't remember how involved Boko is actually in the story. Like, I don't remember Boko popping up very much. No, I think once, that's why I was saying, like, once you meet your friend, it's like he just kind of stops talking to Boko. And I'm like, oh, poor Boko. There's a lot of nods to Boko, though, in later Final Fantasy games, because Final Fantasy V is still quite popular in Japan. So, mounts is one way uh, that pets or animals can be a thing in RPGs. Here's another one, Nadia companion mm-hmm. pets okay mm-hmm. this is i think the most a uh, common example in rpgs and when i say companion pets i don't mean playable characters they are com- uh, they're following characters in some way right yeah so uh usually by their side um a really notable example would be dog meat of course yeah um, of course dog meat is a companion character who can follow you around and sometimes you can uh, pet the dog or you can feed the dog. It's almost always a dog because dogs will actually follow you. unlike a cat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, sometimes cats follow you when you don't want them to follow them. Yeah. And Torchlight, you had a variety of pets. I don't remember Mm -hmm. one. I think it was like a dog and a cat and something else. And you could, the best thing that uh, about them was that instead of having to return to the surface, to sell all of your uh, junk, you could just load them up with all of your junk and send them out. <laughs> go, okay, go on now. And they come back? Mm-hmm. Oh, good yeah, pets. It's very, conven- con- very convenient. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. There are tons of team pets in the Tales series. Mm-hmm. Almost too many of them to name, actually. I have a whole list of them, but it seems like a team pet appears in virtually everyone. I think the most famous one is... Probably Rapide. I, I forgive me if I'm pronouncing that name wrong. From Tales of Vesperia, that's the Yuri's pet wolf that smokes and uses a knife. <laughs> what is he? Okay, is he bipedal or does he like hold a knife in his mouth? The in way the that, mouth. that dark, like that Dark Souls boss. Okay, cool. Yeah, like the Dark Souls boss exactly. <laughs> the great gray. Wolf. And he's a uh, he's he's actually a cross between playable character and companion pet because he's Yuri's companion pet, but is also playable. Is also okay. part of the party. I'm sorry, how does he smoke and attack at the same time? He doesn't. He smokes, and then if he's attacking, he has a knife. So, oh, okay, that makes sense. He stores away sense. the pipe somewhere. I don't know. Oh, he smokes a pipe. I'm, to- I'm, yeah. I'm picturing a cigarette. No, no, no. <laughs> doesn't smoke a cigarette. <laughs> smokes a pipe. <laughs> like a hobbit. Okay, that's, ki- that- okay, that's kind of cute then. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, Interceptor is a great example. Yes, he is. Interceptor is a very good boy. Uh, Angelo from Final Fantasy VIII. Yes, Angela was also a very good boy. Uh, but you never played Final Fantasy VIII, but it was a 
Angelo's a big old collie, right? Yeah, I, I no, I did play. I did play it. I just didn't finish it. Anywhere mm. close to finishing it, but yeah, Angelo was. I remember he was a very floofy boy. So I'm thinking, yes, he was probably a collie or some sort of like uh, some sort of border collie. Definitely. I always found or Angelo. Ru- or a rough collie. I like Angelo, but I always thought that I, I didn't like Renoa as a character. I found her annoying. Yeah, yeah, she was a so little bit. invariably. I never got to use Angelo very much, and I found the randomness of Angelo's uh, limit breaks a little bit too annoying. I'm I might be misremembering, but isn't there one where you can turn him into a gun or something? Like there was there was some really whacked out. Oh yeah, limit breaks she's with aiming him. Aiming Angelo and Angelo shoots yeah. something. Yeah, it was it was very odd. It was very un Final Fantasy eight ish. If you wanna if you wanna go there, but if you wanna beat Omega Weapon without using the cards, you gotta use Angelo. Oh, oh, there you go, I guess. Because Angelo has a limit break that temporarily gives you invincibility. Oh, okay. But as you said, it's random? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a pain in the ass. So so one of the things that I found, Munchie from Dragon Quest VIII. Do you remember this one, Nadia? (laughs) Oh, yeah, the Munchie with a little kind of uh, Toriyama rat thing. Okay. Very cute. Uh, And Mm. what, what role does Munchie have to play in the game? Munchie is um, used primarily for exploration. There are a couple of instances where you can put Munchie into like a mouse hole and you see the world from his perspective and everything's really huge and uh, it's actually really cute. But you can also feed him cheese and the type of cheese you feed him uh, determines the attack he will do. Like I never use him that much in battle, but uh, I do remember feeding him spicy cheese would cause him to like do a, a fire attack against all enemies. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of these animals... Uh, our support characters in some way they augment one of the main characters uh, with support abilities or they have they combo with the main character for mm-hmm. a particular attack uh, for example Ryudo's bird pal from Grandia 2 Sky he will send the bird out to attack the eyes and then <laughs> Ryudo will go in and attack uh, as a follow up for example so uh, they're they're helping out. The birds are the animals are helping. <laughs> well, by blinding the the enemy. Yes, I could actually see how that would help. Pecking out their eyes. Yeah, scratching them out. Yeah, birds will do it. They can do it. So the, that's the difference between them and say like a playable character like Koromaru, where they are a fully fledged part of the party. Yeah. Or uh, Repeat, where Repeat actually has their own abilities and attacks and that kind of thing, and right. you can swap them in and out. By the way, not so. Here's a question. Mm-hmm. If there's an animal character, do you always use them? Yes, almost always. Um, my when I played uh, when I whenever I play Suigoden two, actually, I almost always have a Shiro in my party, and he's the the wolf. Uh, that's uh, kind of a white wolf you get very early in the game, so he's really handy that way. And he's as you continue the game, he he retains his his handiness because he's very good with runes. And um, I, I usually try to recruit the like the Griffin. Or the unicorn, even though like they're kind of useless because they take up so many slots in your party. But uh, yeah, I always have at least one animal character going on. Yeah, I mean, we're both people who are going to automatically pick the hunter class. Yes, because animals. Because animals and because bows. Yes. Yes. They go good together. Uh, question number two, is Morgana, does Morgana count as a pet? I wasn't sure about that one. That's... um. Morgana, I feel like maybe not because Morgana uses a lot of the same attacks and weapons and armor as the rest of the party. But like, is a kitty. Nothing. And she is a kitty. He. And she's she 
she. I keep calling her a she because of the voice. But uh, yes, and she is actually a very cute kitty in the in the real space. Always telling you to go to bed. Go to bed. It's to 5 bed. p.m. Go to bed. <laughs> you must be exhausted. <laughs> well, I'm really not. I'd like to go to bed. Okay, sorry. Jeez. <laughs> that, that kind of gave me flashbacks to someone whose mother used to put her to bed, like, you know, when it was still light out during the summer, uh, summer months. ProZD has a lot of really excellent uh, RPG sketches. ProZD yes. is a, a YouTuber. He puts out these excellent little video game sketches that last maybe 15 seconds because he was originally yes. a Vine star. And he has a good one for Persona 5. <laughs> yeah, I think he showed it to me. That was pretty great. Yes. Go to bed. And it ends with uh, the cat going, go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> he does it pretty well. Uh, so we've got mounts, companion pets, playable characters. There's also recruitable monsters. Uh, Dragon Quest V is a great example of that. Yes, Dragon Quest uh, Five, and as I said, uh, uh, Suikoden Two has a few. Oh yeah, um, and then uh, Final Fantasy Thirteen too. Yes, yeah, I didn't play that one, so I don't know. Yeah, well, it's for the best. It wasn't that good a game. <laughs> <laughs> it did its best, but it was just not that interesting. Right. Though everybody points out that the flan that you could recruit was actually pretty cute, because the, the whole now? thing was, you know, the oh, slimes. The They're called yeah, flans yeah. for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, because I guess they melt. I don't know. But in Final Fantasy XIII 2, you can recruit monsters because you only have two characters, strictly speaking. Uh-huh. You have Lightning's sister, and then you have some other character who's not that interesting. And uh, because traditionally Light, uh, Final Fantasy Thirteen is a three-character game, and it relies extremely heavily on the interplay of those three characters, mm-hmm. it had to fill in the slots, so recruitable monsters it was. No, that's pretty cool. I, I always appreciate a good recruitable monster uh, mechanic. I found the story asinine, so I never really played it that much, but I did mm-hmm. enjoy the gameplay, and it was quite pretty. It was just, mm-hmm. there was a certain point where Final Fantasy thirteen two started to get too repetitive, so I couldn't keep going. The one redeeming quality of Final Fantasy thirteen was that the battle encounters were like a finely tuned watch, where mm-hmm. they were all bespoke and very carefully tuned to your party's abilities at any given moment. It was very Final Fantasy IV in that regard, actually. Mm-hmm. But Final right. Fantasy XIII 2 was much more open-ended in response to a lot of the criticisms around Final Fantasy XIII. And so the balance disappeared and really, in my opinion, laid bare the weaknesses of the battle system in that game. But uh, but you did get a cute slime. No, that's, that's, a, that's a win. Yeah, it, I've never found the slimes in Final Fantasy that cute. They've been around forever. Mostly I find them annoying because if you try to hit them with your sword, you'll do one de- point of damage. Yeah, they were the bane of my existence when I was a very young RPG player uh, playing Final Fantasy IV for the first time. And I was never a good magic user. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I never liked using magic points. Mm-hmm. So I would sit there like an idiot while these stupid slimes would, like, destroy me even though magic existed to take them out and yeah they're not nearly as cute as like you know dragon quest slimes for example it's especially annoying in final fantasy 8 because in final fantasy 8 magic isn't that great Mm -hmm. physical attacks are disproportionately strong so usually you want to break out a summon against them right but if you use the wrong if you use the wrong elemental attack you'll heal them by mistake yes there's that too so you gotta be careful uh, and watch their color coding (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you do you definitely do i always dreaded it when i would see either a bomb or a slime and it'd be like oh man yeah bombs are the worst but slimes are slimes are definitely up there yeah so i mean pokemon's an obvious one the, the of course pokemon are your party members 
Yes. Yeah. So, and then there are summonable monsters. We already mentioned the hunter class and beast masters and that kind of thing. It's a big part of MMORPGs. Mm-hmm. It's like, what kind it of is. animals do you want? Uh, in Diablo, the witch doctor, Diablo 3, the witch doctor could summon spiders and like, a bear thing to walk alongside <laughs> you and all kinds of other things. Yeah, I had, um, I played the vampire hunter or demon hunter. And yeah, I had, um, I know I had a crow. I think I had something else as well. Maybe a wolf. I don't remember. I always like having lots of uh, animal spam that I can throw at enemies. <laughs> like the crazy cat woman from The Simpsons? Here comes, uh, here's, comes my crow and my spiders and my, and my cat thing. And also here comes a dog and there's a giant bear that's being a might shield. It's like I have an entire RPG party in one, except they're all fuzzy. Yeah, there was actually um, one of the most underappreciated Castlevania games is Curse of Darkness for the PlayStation uh, 2. And I understand why, because it's a 3D Castlevania, and those generally aren't that great. But that was a game where you could, actually, the character Hector, he's um, in, um, or Isaac, whatever his name was, he's in uh, the the new animated series. And he's the same thing, like kind of a demon alchemist. He builds demons. And in the game, you can build like all these like really cool animal demons, like uh, crows, for example. I had a... I had a crow that I named Bonnie Bray. Uh, the demon hunter in Diablo 3 can also have different animals. Uh, I think I always used the bird, and I don't remember why I used yeah. the bird, but the animals imbued different skills. I think there was also a bat? That's what there was. There was a bat, yes, and there was. I know there were spiders as well, and I'm like, yeah, I am not traveling with a spider, so that's one reason why I stuck to the crow. Yeah, I don't like bugs. I guess I'm racist against bugs. <laughs> I can tolerate bugs, except for house centipedes. Uh, I cannot tolerate them. Mm. But I don't. doesn't mean I want to hang out with them. Sorry, I guess I'm racist against bugs, too. Bugs and snakes. I apologize snakes I to I any snakes. snake owners who listen to this podcast. I'm sure there's more than a few of you. I just don't understand. I'm, I'm team rat, not team snake. There's, oh, I like rats and snakes. I would never in a billion years uh, feed snakes to a rat to a snake. So, Well, that's fair. Yeah. I, but I, I couldn't I deal with it. Snakes. I don't care if the rat's frozen. Just having a frozen rat would make me too sad. I would oh, be thinking about true. that rat's family. <laughs> that's some Redwall shit right there. Uh, okay, and here's the last one. I And this is kind of a weird category because it's a category of one. So in World of Warcraft, Keltuzad, who is the lich... Uh, one of the liches he works for the lich king right Mm -hmm. uh has a cat named mr bigglesworth (laughs) (laughs) it's freaking freezing out here mr bigglesworth and mr bigglesworth of course is dr evil's cat yes in world of warcraft if it is killed apparently keltuzad gets quite upset with players and threatens to send the scourge to hunt them down notably it's one of the few times you can hear keltuzad being genuinely angry (laughs) (laughs) is it a hairless cat the way that mr bigglesworth was yeah, it's got to be. So this is why World of Warcraft went completely off the rail. Like these stupid pop culture references being actual plot points. Keltuzad yes. has a freaking cat named Mr. Beaglesworth. Come come <laughs> <back> on. <laughs> World of Warcraft is serious business. We, we got to be serious about our Lich Kings and our, our Apocalypse Dragons here. I, I liked it better when Warcraft took itself 10% more seriously. Did it ever take itself that seriously? Sure. Like- yeah, Warcraft 3. I mean, yeah, okay. You click on the characters too much, and they start making dumb jokes. But I thought Warcraft well, 3 took re- took itself reasonably seriously in a really over-the-top pulp uh, fantasy kind of way. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. So Certainly not to the I point could... where 
I mean, by World of Warcraft, they had they were so desperate for content, they had an Indiana Jones stand-in named Harrison Jones. <laughs> wow, that they tried real hard with that one. Yeah, and it's cute in Hearthstone, but you're kind of going, what is this doing in here? Okay, man, we've been on a lot of rants today, Nadia. I, I don't know why I have so many takes. I'm just full of takes lately. It's take season. Oh, my God. This must be what it's like to get older. You just start having oh, yeah. really strong, entrenched opinions about snakes. I, I can confirm, but I have the opposite opinions about snakes. I have very firm opinions about snakes that are positive. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so those are the types of animals. I, I'd be curious to know, uh, dear listener, if you can think of any other types of animals in an RPG. And if you can think of some more examples, send them along. But in the meantime, I think that, Nadia, it is time to call out the top five pets mm-hmm. in RPG history. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. All right, number five, and I really need a sound drop for this. Number five is Koromaru from Persona 3. Okay, so now we're talking about Koromaru. <laughs> okay, now it's Koromaru time. Uh, so Koromaru is kind of interesting. Uh, you immediately want to use Koromaru in the game. Uh, mm-hmm. It joins the party around the midpoint and is kind of non-traditional compared to the rest of the cast. Koromaru uses light magic and dark magic. And mm. is much more based around insta kills. So oh. great for clearing out dungeons and keeping the party safe, but less great if you're going for a more traditional brute force type approach. I kind of like the idea of a dog being able to wield death magic, though. That's pretty. That's pretty awesome. Yes, it's adorable. Um, and regardless of whether or not Koromaru was maybe a little too what's the word unreliable, I use Koromaru mm-hmm. because puppy. Of course. Well, that's that makes up for all the shortcomings. And of course, you can also do a social link with Koromaru, which involves taking it for walks. <laughs> woof, woof, woof. I was going to say that's hilarious, except there is a social link in Persona 4 with a fox. So, And if I recall correctly, you have to take Koromaru for X number of walks. And if you take Koromaru in enough walks, Kor- you will get to meet other social links because of that. Oh, yeah. yeah and Persona. I always like the way Persona kind of like links that sort of like one social link with another in that regard. Because the whole point is... You take the dog for a walk and you meet people, right? Yeah, Maybe of other people That's with the best dogs. Way to meet people. And or you're just meeting people while you're out for a walk with Koromaru. And Koromaru, I guess, has a strong sense of justice and will take you places and help uh, you can <laughs> help out. But yes, I just like the idea of being able to walk the dog in that game. I wonder uh, what arcana he is. Oh god, I'm I don't remember. <laughs> It'd be great if he was justice, if he has a strong sense of justice. That's, you know, doggy justice. In Persona 3, of course, you're working for a after school group. Um, that mm-hmm. is fighting demons in your school, and they all have armbands, which is a little uncomfortable. And yeah. uh, Koromaru also has an armband. <laughs> oh, that's uncomfortable and cute. And it, uh, Persona Q2 is coming up very soon, and they have a special edition, and Koromaru is available as an adorable little plush. And because I'm a child, I thought seriously about uh, pre-ordering that version. Ah, I would have. But I, Koromaru is one of my very favorite Persona characters. I mean, ultimately, doesn't have much of an arc, but I like the creativity of including that character in there. I thought it varied mm-hmm. up the social links quite a bit. And I was a little sad when you didn't have equivalent pets in later games. Yeah, you got Teddy in Persona 4 and Morgana in Persona 5, but it's not the same. They're not really pets, pets. They're no, talking I agree. Things. I mean, and Teddy is a, kind of the skeezy mascot character. 
Yeah, <laughs> he's the mascot character. He's a not really a bear. Yeah, he's not. People are like, Teddy is a pet. I'm like, Teddy is not a pet. Uh, Teddy is not a pet. Teddy is the is many things, but not a pet. <laughs> All right, what's number four, Nadia? Number four is Saber the Saber Cat from Dragon Quest Five. You love Saber Cats, uh, and uh, so does uh, the Dragon Quest series because you kill a lot of them in Dragon Quest Eleven. <laughs> They love them so much that you keep, just keep on killing them. Just keep murdering yes. those saber cats. They all die. They all die in those little saber kittens with them. It's so it's so sad. But uh, I love saber cats because um, I just think that they are kind of accumulation of what Toriyama does best design wise. It's like he takes these these animals that exist or existed in our world and just adds all his, his crazy spins to it. Like hey. Sure, he's a saber-toothed tiger, but with, you know, really, like, distinctive spots and mohawks. Like, why the hell not? I, I just love it. It's a very simple, very compelling design. Uh, but beyond that, Saber is an interesting character in Dragon Quest V because you grow up with him. You save him as a cub, and he fights alongside you uh, from that moment on, pretty much. And he's a very powerful little fighter. He's He is a saber cat. He has his, his teeth and his claws. Uh, later on in the game, when you're separated from him, you you find him again, and you discover that he's basically a, a, a one-person, one-animal-killing machine. Uh, I, really, the ideal party in Dragon Quest V is you, uh, your children, maybe your your wife, and you gotta have Saber in there, and like you're basically this, this happy family on a Sunday outing, except you're murdering things. One of the few and, examples uh, in which a cat is the family pet instead of a dog. Yes, absolutely. You're, you're right. The Saber is basically the family pet because, yes, he is very attached to your wife. He's attached to your kids. And, uh, again, more like a, a dog than a cat, he will listen to what you say. <laughs> there are multiple uh, dogs on this list. But I would say that picking a dog as your animal is the easy way out, and I say this only because I'm a cat person. I I love dogs, but I am I am more of a cat person because I find dogs are neurotic for our love, and cats make you earn it a little bit more. I just find and that I, I dogs are that. too high maintenance. So they are very high maintenance too. Yes, there are days where I just can't take the dog out for a walk. There are days where. Yeah. Uh, its need to go to the bathroom is maybe a bit too much. And I like the more self-contained nature of a cat. I like the fact that certain cat breeds are basically just living stuffed animals that I can grab and hug and do whatever. <laughs> and not too worried ab uh, about them being super high maintenance. And I don't have to take a cat to the park so it can romp. Yeah, exactly. You can try, but they're not going to like it. On the flip side, dogs are, you can take dogs anywhere and they make a, any outing 10% more fun because the dog is having such a good time. That's true. Dogs find love and, and happiness everywhere. But because, you know, they're great attack animals, they have a historic role as hunters and everything, they're an obvious choice to be in RPGs as companion characters, so it's always a nice thing to see something a little more creative, like a saber cat. Yeah, and I think, uh, like I just said, a saber cat, like, is a, is a much more vicious attacker than a, uh, a dog because it has the big ass teeth number one it has claws or a big is, tiger yeah. actually it is a big, big tiger, tiger once it grows up actually i'm looking at the box art of final dragon quest 5 that's sitting on my desk right now and i think it's big yeah tear your throat and uh, in in later games they're rideable so that's how big they are <laughs> no exactly it's like owning a tiger D kids don't own tigers as pets exotic pets are bad exotic pets are definitely bad but in the, in the dragon quest universe anything goes 
Yeah, you have like a little domesticated house cat, and you're like, oh, you're a little vicious little guy. And tigers are exactly <laughs> like that, except they are much heavier than you, and they want to kill you. Yeah. Just like snakes. No. Not like snakes. Snakes are not domesticated animals, and therefore should not be pets. Okay, they're definitely not domesticated. I can I can concede there. Uh, so saber cats. Uh, the whole thing with... Uh, the thing that I really like uh, about saber is mm-hmm. that you have saber as a little kitty like a little little baby kitty right yes you do uh, and kittens are always great kittens mm-hmm. are the greatest thing and saber grows up with you. yes yeah so uh, it really drives home the whole coming of age aspect of it it really does and uh getting to find him again after you're separated for him is like kind of a nice point in the game because that's a a very sort of that's you kind of climbing out of the, the darker aspects of the game and, and getting your life back together and finding saber is part of that and of course all families have to have a family pet yeah and that's a good pet to have especially battle, battle families with the saber uh, we've we've been on record as saying dragon quest 5 is by far the best dragon quest and why is dragon quest 5 the best dragon quest because you got a freaking saber cat as a party member there you go number one reason yes okay number three is and i mean okay so i put it to our readers or listeners i suppose who what is your favorite rpg pet we got a lot of answers and this is an obvious one we got this one even more than number one on this list if you can believe it interceptor from final fantasy 6 yeah i'm not surprised that we got interceptor he's a he's a pretty great pet and he was one of the one of the earlier examples i think of an rpg that has an attack animal Yes. Uh, I don't know about that. Okay, so Final Fantasy VI came out in 1994. Fallout came out in uh-huh. 1998. Oh, I mean console RPGs, I'm sorry. Console. Oh, yeah, console RPGs for sure. I, no, but Dragon yeah. Quest V came out two weeks, two, mu- two oh, years before. Right. So oh, yes. DQ5 definitely had FF6 beat. Of course, Interceptor is kind of a German Shepherd thing. Um, He's a Doberman. Oh, yeah, okay, Doberman. Uh, I know that... <laughs> I demand One of the artists my who designed Shadow uh, said that it was a mix, actually. Oh, really? Oh, that would actually explain a lot, because I was always bothered by the fact, and pardon me for being a dog nerd here, Interceptor has cropped ears, which is something you see in a Doberman, but he doesn't have a cropped tail, and that's very, very unusual. If, first of all, I'm against you know tail cropping and ear cropping, just getting that out there, but if you have cropped ears, you have the cropped tail as well. So if he was a mix, that actually makes some sense. So Yoshi Ataka Amano's uh, artwork in Interceptor's Game Sprite suggests he's most likely a Doberman Pinscher, Boshiron, or a mix of the two. Oh, hmm. That's really cool. May also be related to the Vector Hound enemies. Neat. I'll have to look that up later. So when That's everybody cool. kept throwing out Interceptor, my first thought was, uh, Interceptor, I mean, he's not that involved in the story. Like, he's just a cute thing that's following Shadow around. But actually, that's not true. Uh, Interceptor is quite part of the story. He is. Yeah. Um, he actually, it, it, it's very interesting to say this in this day and age when Square Enix isn't so great at subtle storytelling. Squ- uh, if you follow the trail of Interceptor, you will. that's how you can kind of get one of the bigger, stronger hints that uh, Shadow is Realm's father. There are a bunch of dreams Shadow can have in Final Fantasy VI, and two of them link up to show Interceptor kind of leaving Realm behind when Shadow walks out on her. And he follows Shadow, who who in that in this particular cinema is, is Clyde. He's his past persona. He's the train robber. So that's just like a. I think that's a, a really clever, interesting way to for Square to tell us, hey, we're not going to confirm anything, but you know, hey, hey. 
And not only that, but it's really satisfying when you have Shadow in your party and then suddenly Interceptor just runs by going, bark, and totally yeah. bites the hell out of an enemy and they explode <laughs> for 9,999 damage. Yeah, he can do like some crazy amount of damage and not just do that, but also like before he attacks, he absorbs whatever hit was intended for Shadow and he's immune to, to anything. He doesn't care. He just basically counterattacks after that. Uh, he will fly to get at enemies in the sky and he will miss every single time. But can you imagine being like a flying enemy and seeing this Doberman thing like swim in the air to get at you? Like you're going to die of fear. I'm just imagining a Doberman pitcher going, flying through the air, like being shot out of a cannon and biting the hell out of an enemy. It'd be effective. Or I wish it was effective, but it misses every single time. But if you're um, for every ground-based attack, though, he will do like insane amounts of damage. Anyway, as I mentioned, Interceptor came up a lot with a lot of Mm -hmm. the people who are... Because I I think Interceptor is certainly the most famous dog in uh, Final Fantasy history, more so than Angelo. Sorry, Angelo, you're a big floofy dog. I prefer floofy dogs over the ones with shorter fur, even though they're harder to clean. Because, yeah, Interceptor is an iconic RPG pet, I think. But perhaps even more iconic, certainly among Western RPG fans, is Boo. It's number two on our list. From Baldur's Gate 2, Boo is a miniature giant space hamster. Here is the item description. Boo is a fuzzy little hamster. While Minsk believes that Boo is a miniature giant space hamster, you are rather certain that the tiny rodent is just a normal hamster. (laughs) Which one is it? I don't know. Well, miniature giant space hamster is kind of all over the place there. Boo is adorable. Uh, Boo will often squeak when Minsk says certain quotes, uh, is involved in the uh, banter. And there's apparently a mod in which that you can install in which uh, Boo is kidnapped. You have to rescue Boo. Boo is iconic among a certain set of Bioware fans and uh, has been referenced multiple times. I did not realize that the space hamster that you could buy in Mass Effect 2 was a reference to Boo. <laughs> That's pretty good, actually. Minx himself is a berserker warrior from the nation of Rashaman in the Outer East, and he follows the trope of big, strong, muscly dude who's bald and has a tattoo on his head who <laughs> loves a tiny animal like life itself. I used to, uh, I used to groom for several people like that. Uh, I told you one about the leaf... The, the maple leaf Alexei Ponikarovsky, huge, huge, huge guy with a tiny, tiny Yorkshire Terrier, just over the moon about this little animal. Uh, my favorite though is I, I there's one humongo guy, like humongous Portuguese guy, who was very, very kind but very tough, and he had this little tiny Shih Tzu that was he was not only over the moon about, but he put a, a, um, a medallion of Saint Francis on his collar which is, uh, for Catholics, that's, like, basically their way of, of giving, like, you know, protection over their pet, which I always liked. I, I, liked, I like that kind of trope. Uh, of course, one of the most famous lines from Baldur's Gate 2, go for the eyes, boo, go for the eyes, wrong. <laughs> uh, that's what a hamster can do, totally go for the eyes. Yeah, a hamster could do it. Uh, hamsters are actually um, they're vicious little bastards. I would rather have a rat. Squeak. And ah, we are all heroes. You and Boo and I. Hamsters and rangers everywhere. Rejoice! But that goes... I I think Boo really speaks to why Bioware developed such a following. Instead of having a dog, or cat, or tiger, or snake, 
they had an adorable space hamster. <laughs> and of course, number one is, I mean, it's an obvious one, right? I mean, dog yeah, meat. Yeah, I think so. It's just dog funny because dog yeah. meat was lifted whole cloth from uh, from Road Warrior, uh, where the dog also died. Oh, no. Yeah, have you never seen Road I Warrior? Actually, I've never seen Road Warrior, but I was thinking like uh, a boy and his dog for some reason. And follow, uh, Which was also an inspiration. Yeah, and dog meat dies in the original game as well. Um, and Tim Kane is very upfront in saying that dog meat was definitely inspired uh, by the Road Warrior. But mm-hmm. uh, there was a good argument in the emotion uh, as dog meat being the emotional center of Fallout. <laughs> dog meat's unwavering devotion lets players pet the dog, a fiction trope wherein a potentially despised character appears kinder by demonstrating a love for dogs. In Equilibrium, cleric John Preston slaughters a dozen policemen to save a puppy. Discworld's Lord Veterinary Veterinary is an ex-assassin with dogs named Waffles and Mr. Fusspot. Even Richard Nixon had checkers. <laughs> In an uncaring wasteland where you can play a total psychopath if you so choose, dog meat is a moral compass. Though your needle might swing toward good or evil, his center always holds strong, provided you protect him. If you don't, his death becomes a sad reminder of the consequences of reckless slaughter. Yeah, you could be extremely evil, and while the rest of your companions judge you, dog meat will just look at you and, you know, make little panting noises. God, that's the most dog thing ever. And uh, Chris Avalone, who's been on this podcast, friend of the podcast Chris Avalone, said that the reason dog meat is the, arguably the most successful NPC companion ever, one, he doesn't talk, so the players can project a personality onto him. Mm-hmm. Two, he's effective in combat. And three, he's a dog that stays with you through thick and thin. I don't think there's a deeper awe sentiment than people have in their hearts for pets. And, of course, there have been many variants of dog meat over the years. There's a dog meat in Resident Evil 3, dog meat in Resident Evil 4. You could get a version, a cybernetic version, in Fallout New Vegas. Oh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, uh, named Rex. Rex. And uh, poor Rex is an adorable little pupper with uh, cybernetic parts. It's adorable. Aw. <laughs> of course, uh, dog meat in Fallout 4 was glitched. <laughs> that's right. I lost dog meat for a long time. Did you see? Oh, no, I couldn't find dog meat. I wasn't sure. There was a certain point where I just started gathering all of my companions at the gas station so I knew where they were at any given time. <laughs> okay, everyone stay here until mommy says it's okay to come out. I set up a nice little garage living room area with couches and lights and everything. I would find them all wandering around, hanging out. And eventually I learned that if you build a doghouse, dog meat will spawn in the doghouse. That's awfully complicated, <laughs> but okay. Eventually, I figured it out, but there was a long period of time where I thought I had lost dog meat, and I was extremely upset. That is sad, I, especially since I have a very soft spot for German Shepherds. But dog meat wasn't that great in combat. No, but I used him anyway, like, for as long as I played Fallout 4, because dog. I mean, yeah, it's super cute, and if you're not, and if you want maybe a little harder experience, dog meat is fine, because, but most of the time, dog meat will just run up to a, a much more powerful enemy and then get killed. <laughs> I've seen I've seen videos of him doing that, like basically bringing like suicide bomber mutants over to your like location while you're trying to talk to an NPC. Yeah, you're in much better shape if you just get a character who has, say, a sniper rifle, much like anything in Fallout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Fallout, uh, dog meat, dog meat is iconic because when you're wandering around an open world, you want a buddy, you want a fur buddy yes. with you, and what better fur buddy than a German Shepherd? Right. I agree. Like people are kind of. Uh, inherently some people are are inherently scared of dogs 
especially German Shepherds, and I just feel like that would be a good a good deterrent on the wasteland for, like, you know, people who want to mess with you. Exactly. I, I think one of the most iconic images in all of gaming would be the picture of the vault dweller walking down the open road with dog meat by his side. I agree. So number one is dog meat. But here are some other honorable mentions, Nadia. Uh, mm-hmm. Patrick Imbo says, I love Interceptor from Final Fantasy VI, but probably the one I grew most attached to was Dog, the Mabari Warhound from Dragon Age Origins, which is this big old uh, pit bull slash Rottweiler? Yeah, he's a he's kind of a mastiff pit bull, yeah. yeah apparently he's very strong, actually. He can be a great tank if you want to use him. I think I used him for as long as I did play, like, Dragon uh, Dragon Age, uh, because, again, dog, and, yeah, he was pretty great. Uh, the, dog, though. The main uh, kind of character who's got a heart of gold, Alistair, I think his name is, apparently yes. has a lot of trouble with uh, with with dog, because uh, like, I guess they <laughs> I don't get along that. very well. Uh, he's always trying to yeah. be nice to dog, and dog's always, like, crawling at him and stuff. Another honorable mention is a Poshul from Chrono Cross, annoying accent and all, but you don't like Poshul, do you? No, last time I played Chrono Cross, I totally forgot I could even recruit him early in the game, and I was like, oh, oh well, what are you going to do? Which is stupid on me, because he's actually kind of a handy character for that early in the game. But yeah, he has a uh, kind of a, he looks like a Fluppy. Do you know what a Fluppy is? Nope. Fluppy was like, um, Disney tried to make this like, marketable uh franchise that bombed really hard with these multicolored puppy things and uh i loved it when i was a kid but looking back at it it's like oh god how do i watch that this is so stupid and that's what postal reminds me of just that kind of like you ate too much cotton candy and barfed it up like that kind of that kind of dog you know (laughs) not for me that's why i don't have dogs (laughs) i'm showing my bias alphador from chrono trigger that's an interesting one um because he's not really in the gameplay so much, except for, I think if you visit Antiquity uh, later in the game with Magus, he'll chase after Magus and meow at him because Alphador is, of course, the the cat that he had as a child when he was Janus in, in Zeal. And as I recall, when I was a kid, when I played Chrono Trigger, of course, the question on everyone's mind was, where do you find Shala? Because you leave her at the bottom of the Ocean Palace, and you don't find out until Chrono Cross what happened. But um, I used to think that maybe Alphador was the key somehow to finding her, and that just wasn't the case. It was just a cute little um, Easter egg that the developers threw in. At Outrider says, King from Earthbound is great, because he helps you out in the beginning, but then decides to be a lazy dog and just hang out at home for the rest of the game. (laughs) King's the worst, because, like, I was so disappointed that he abandons you. Especially since Earthbound, as I have written before in the past, it is not an easy game in the early going. When Ness is alone, I feel like it could be so much easier to get into if King stayed with you through the game. I I was always a little disappointed he didn't. King is not a good boy. (laughs) King is a bad boy. King is a bad, bad boy. (laughs) They say there are no bad dogs, but King is a very, very disagreeable boy. All right, on that note, that is the Animal Companions of rpgs are there any that you that you feel that we missed do you want to show any particular love for ones that we already discussed send me a line drop me a line on twitter dm or send me an email but let's move on to the mailbag (music) 
I'm looking forward to all the hate mail from snake owners, by the way, Nadia. <laughs> There's going to be quite a bit. All right. Rider Kicker says, okay, I broke down and bought Super Robot Wars T against my better judgment, which includes the mild criticisms that Cat and other sites had. I didn't get the Switch version, but got the PS4 version because I wanted to let my friend play the Cowboy Bebop mission. Thankfully, I had some eBay bucks left over to make the $72 purchase more palatable. Those games are really expensive. Yeah, you mentioned that uh, if you want to play them in English, you're basically importing them. Yep. And Rider Kicker, man, don't do drugs. <laughs> drugs are bad. Winners don't do drugs. Uh, Kachambra says, I have to agree with Kat's point that the current Star Wars universe is kind of a mess. I think that part of the problem comes from how weirdly small it all feels. And I'm not talking about the size and diversity of locations, but also about the rebellion in the First Order. I mean, that as interesting a character as Kylo Ren is, I just don't buy this whiny kid as the supreme leader of a universe-conquering force. And it doesn't help that this second-in-command, General Hux, is even more of a petulant child. Yeah, he's one of the Weasley brothers from uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> is he seriously? Only he becomes a fascist. Like- I'm, am I supposed to believe that these two temperamental kids run a huge, fearsome, conquering force with any degree of efficiency? I can't help but think that if these two brats and their band of Empire fanboys can conquer the galaxy and put the resistance on the run, it's because there wasn't much of a galaxy or resistance in the first place. And yes, Han Solo deserved better. It's a damn shame that have Carrie Fisher won't get her turn to shine in episode 9. Did you see the trailer? The they totally the world. Hulk. Yeah, but like, they kind of rebuild that. Like, you know, it's not like meant more for a, a bigger part and they can't do that for obvious reasons here's my jo- more generous counterpoint uh to the reading of general hux and kylo ren is to say that the resistance or the the new republic was built on shaky territory shaky ground and mm-hmm. thought that the battle was won but the battle was not won and so got got by uh, a couple of empire fanboys and their band of uh, terrorists frankly yeah, I was going to say, maybe, yes, they are uh, children, especially uh, Kylo Ren. But again, Kylo Ren has enormous power, enormous power they don't see often in the galaxy. And look at the state of politics now. Uh, are you saying that everyone in charge of, like, the nuclear arsenals are uh, are great? Yeah, have you <laughs> seen very... Stephen Miller? He looks like General Hux. He does. <laughs> we are not talking about good, smart, developed people here. Uh, Victoria Hunter says, Crystal Chronicles fan here, ready to justify its existence. Oh boy, I'm excited. (laughs) Easily one of the most underappreciated soundtracks of all time, the outrageously charming northern accent of the game's narrator, and some really touching side quests to make for a dungeon crawl with a ton of heart. Each of Crystal Chronicles' bosses implies so much about the world without ever forcing lore down the player's throat. They all just feel like tragic denizens of an ailing world. Back on the GameCube, it might have also been the first console game that I played with normal mapping, so the graphics blew me away, especially if you can pull off an Aga spell with friends. Every game in the Crystal Chronicles series feels like someone's passion project. They're a little underdeveloped and never quite reach the emotional heights that one might see in the main FF titles, but each game is brimming with character. I could espouse the virtues of the Chris Chronicles subseries all day, and I really hope the remaster does it justice and helps renew interest in this weird, beautiful offshoot. All right. Yeah, I hope so. There you go. Victoria Hunter had uh, had their piece to say. So Andrew Haddow has some thoughts on introducing people to RPGs for the first time. And they mm-hmm. said, I thought back to my experience, and the first RPG I really got into was Super Mario RPG. The game doesn't always get taken seriously yet nowadays, with lots of users calling it Baby's First RPG. Well, so what? <laughs> I was nine years old when it came out in 1996, and it was my first RPG. It may be simple. You can beat it in about an afternoon if you have some time on your hands. I did. 
Like I no, I, I'm talking for myself. I literally did beat in an afternoon. And the mechanics wow. aren't all that deep, but I think one reason apart from these things makes it a great introduction to the genre comedy. And so the way that they see it basically is if a game is really funny, it can kind of overcome the uh, difficult kind of unforgiving game mechanics. Uh, they talk about things like the Ace Attorney series, uh, Day of the mm-hmm. Tentacle, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and then they said that when their family rented the game, they were instantly hooked because it was really funny and it was making them laugh. So, And they also call out uh, Super Mario RPG as one of the first great English localizations of a JRPG. So we've been a little harsh on Super Mario RPG in the past, but maybe they're right. It is a good introduction. Yeah, um, uh, it's actually something I wrote when I did the uh, SNES Classic reviews uh, for uh, US Gamer. Uh, even though it's not my favorite RPG, I totally acknowledge that. Other than Final Fantasy VII, it might be responsible for getting the most people into RPGs that I can think of. Because not just humor, but also and the familiarity of Mario, of course. But uh, the action sort of based uh, combat, I think, is also uh, a really good way to kind of get people more involved in the fights if they're not used to RPGs. All right, Acts of the Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Please subscribe to our newsletter. Follow us on social media. Do all of the things. Um, we have reviews up for Mortal Kombat 11 and Days Gone and SteamWorld Quest. Uh, May is going to be a little dead for releases, but we got plenty planned on the site in terms of features. And, you know, we'll keep do- doing these fun little features like these on the site by the way the top 25 rpg countdown is finished you can go read yes. all the write-ups Woo. over on the site and f- have our extended thoughts about why all of these games deserve to be on the countdown okay thanks for listening as always we'll be back again as always next week but for nadia and myself thanks for listening and until next time happy adventuring <laughs>